So we have as our text this morning, we're in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And again, we've been looking at the seated in heavenly places, chapters 1 through 3. And now we're in the section, well, therefore, how do I say thank you? And that is walk. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse uh, 20. Hear now the word of God. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Aroma. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for guiding the Apostle Paul through the Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring these words, and we thank you that you are here with us today. You are our teacher. And so, again, we ask that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts that you would do that spiritual heart surgery using the word as a scalpel, as a sword. And we pray that you would uh, truly remove things that are uh, opposed to you and that you would heal us, that you would renew our minds through your word and you would enable us to say thank you to you by putting on the new man. And so we pray that you do that work in us we pray this for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, the clothes, clothes make a man? 
You ever heard that kind of phrase, clothes makes a man? You ever experienced that? Where you dress up and people respond to you differently than when you dress down? You ever had that experience before? Where people will, someone will treat you with more respect if you're dressed respectable and the opposite? Clothes make a man. What you wear affects not only what someone else thinks of you, can it affect you as well? I better not roll in the mud if I have my suit on. <laughs> no, I'm not talking that, but does it... The other idea is the idea of clothing and calling. Why is it that police officers wear a uniform? Why does a fireman wear a uniform? Why does a judge wear a robe? Because it's tied to the calling. It's a reflecting on the calling. What you wear reflects who you are and what you're called to do. It's still today. We live in an egalitarian society where everybody's supposed to be the same. There's supposed to be no difference between us. But we still understand that there's a difference between uh, a, a military uniform. Can you wear a military uniform with all of the... Can you legally do so? The answer is no, you can't. You have to be an, a service member or have been one to wear it. So the point is, do clothing make man? Is it important to be clothed properly in the presence of God? The answer is yes. When Paul here says, put off the old man, put on the new man, he's talking, he's using the language of clothing. He's talking about putting on who you are in Christ. So my, my uh, main point there is in the outline, how new are you? Uh, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you are a completely new creation. Where do I get that? Well, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So how new are you if you are in Christ? Again, that kind of addresses what we said earlier in the canons. How important is this? Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and you must be born again. We are called to live according to who we are in Christ. Does, that, does your life reflect this radical change? That's what Paul is getting to here in our text. He's been spending three chapters developing our understanding of grace. The grace in Christ, being seated in heavenly places, our identity being found in Christ. Is that your identity? Are you believing? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Do you? Is he like the chair you're sitting in? What do I mean by that? When you're sitting in the chair, are you trusting in your legs? And standing? And the answer is no. You're resting on something else outside of yourself, right? When you came up to that chair, you looked at it and said, 
Okay, that's a chair. Oh, that chair, if it's a real chair, that's a real chair. That can hold me up. And then you sat down in it. You may not have thought through that process, but in, in a sense you did, right? Isn't that what, in a sense, the gospel is? Jesus is the chair. He's real. He's the only one, the only way to be saved is by sitting in the chair in Christ. But again, notice it's the work of the Spirit that grants that work, isn't it? Seated in heavenly places, Paul says. That's our identity. But notice, as he said that, just before he said that, I'll read it again. But God, who is rich in his mercy with his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Is that being born again? Being made alive. If you're dead and you're made alive, is that resurrection? Right? Are you resurrected by the Spirit of God through the application of the gospel? When we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, and so on. Okay. Is that you? Is that your place? If not, repent and believe or perish. You understand that? We're not talking about, oh, we're talking about religious things. No, we're talking about life and death, blessing and cursing, eternity. We're talking about the most serious conversation that we can have. Are you in Christ? Are you seated in Christ? Do you trust in Christ alone for salvation? If you need to, come talk to me after the service, if you have questions. But now Paul, speaking to those in Christ, says, okay, now how do I say thank you? Again, we're getting ready to celebrate uh, Thanksgiving. How do I say thank you? And he says, by action. So what are my actions? What's the first thing I should do? I should walk. I should follow Jesus. If Jesus is the teacher and I'm the student, then we are part of the school of Christ, and Christ is on the move. And so we are following Christ. And so Paul will say in chapter 4, verse 1, walk. And then in verse 17 of chapter 4, don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk. And he goes on to say walk. And walk, conduct your life. So that's where we are in our text. So the, so the first point in the outline is put off the old man or the old humanity with its deceitful desires, Paul says. So guess what? We're back to the garden, back to the fall of mankind and its effect. The perversion, the pride, the violence, the sheer wickedness which we see and experience today. Is, is that a good way to describe what we see today in the news? As you go look at Gaza and Israel, you go look at Ukraine, you go look at Washington, D.C., <laughs> you go look at all over the world, do you see violence, do you see perversion, do you see, like I said, sheer wickedness, pride, 
arrogance, deception. It's an awful place out there. But is it really that far away? Is it close? Is it in our flesh, in the old man that we are stuck with until we are called home? The answer is yes. Have you ever stopped and thought about death as a stranger? Did, was there death when God created everything and said it was very good? Did death exist? The answer is no. Death came because of sin. Now we are in a, a world at war, and death, I hate to say it, is normal. A stranger. But the wages of sin is death. We live in a fallen world. We live in an abnormal environment that warps our thinking and our actions. True or false? We live in an abnormal environment. Do you understand that? If, if we can grasp that point, that what we see and hear around us is not normal, is not the way it was supposed to be. And we are to war against that thinking of the world. Yes, we were born in Adam. We were born in the old man. We were sin. We were born in sin, we did sin, we walked according to the dictates of the world, the flesh, and the devil, we followed them. We were part of them. We were in the kingdom of darkness. That was normal. A new creature in Christ is abnormal in an abnormal world. Does that make sense? So we... If you believe in Jesus, you're looked upon as abnormal, right? peculiar, strange. We have a different allegiance. We have a different Lord and Master. We were born in Adam, and we also were bound to death. That is why Jesus came, to deliver us from death, and from the old man. You understand that? You're a new creature in Christ. You no longer have that old nature. All things have become new. You're a new creature in Christ. You have a new nature. Okay? But we still live in this body of death, as Paul says, that we still live in this flesh. We still are dealing with the old man. Okay, so there's a war going on within, and that's the greatest war, isn't it? You can, you can maybe have uh, some respite from the war against the devil, the world, but we're constantly at war with the flesh, with the old man. That's why Paul brings it up. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not your identity. And I keep driving this point home. Who are you? Are you a sinner or are you a saint? If you're in Christ, you're a saint. Do you sin? Yes. Is that normal for a saint to sin? No. It's contrary to who you are. If you're a sinner, what do sinners do? They sin. Do you understand that? You were a sinner in Adam. If you're in Christ, you're no longer a sinner. You're not, that's not your identity. 
Your identity is Christ, and you are a saint. Well, then why do I sin? Because you have to put off the old man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man. That's the war. That's how I say thank you to God. Put off those clothes, if you will. He actually describes the clothes in verses 17 through 19. We looked at that last week. And then he goes into it and describes the different kinds of clothes uh, that are, are um, practical. We'll look at that in a minute. Secondly, second point, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you dis- discern the difference between the old man and the new man? Is there any way to discern? Well, I don't know if this is of God or not. What, what do I use? What's the rule? Is there any kind of understanding? And the answer is yes, God's word. God's spirit. He's the teacher. He takes the word and he shows us the difference. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you do that? By prayerful study of God's word. Specifically God's standard. His perspective on reality. So let's look at a few of those. We just recited the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 19. Who, past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Again, in verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So here, lusts and greediness. Does the Ten Commandments address that? Which of the ten did we recite that addresses lust, that addresses greediness, covetousness? Thou shall not covet. Tenth Commandment. That's the most difficult of the ten because it's getting into the heart, isn't it? Thou shall not covet. How about verse 25? Therefore, putting away lying. Is that in the Ten Commandments? Which one? Thou shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What about anger? Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. This one's a little bit more difficult, but think about Jesus. What did Jesus say? If you are angry with your brother, what have you done? You've committed murder. So he ties it together with murder. What about theft? Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. Is that in the Ten Commandments? Thou shall not steal. Very good. Thou shall not steal. How about let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth? Is that in the Ten Commandments? The Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother, right? And the ninth commandment. 
So what, what, what's the point? Here, Paul, in a sense, is taking the Ten Commandments, and he's saying, well, here's the rule. Let's look at the old man. This is what you're to put off. Instead of lying, why do you lie? I think we talked about that last week. Why do we lie? We usually lie to get out of trouble, right? I'm in trouble, and I don't want to have the consequences of that, so I try to get my way out of it, right? So what does he say? He says, what? Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And I'm actually racing into the third part, but what is the first thing? Is identifying that I have lied. I'm tempted to lie right now and get out of trouble. Okay, Put that off. Be renewed. That is sin. God's word says, thou shalt not bear false witness. So what should we ask for God to do in this event? In the, as we're starting to understand that we're, there's something different, we need that new mind. Pray for enlightenment. Pray for conviction. Pray for sorrow. Pray for hatred of your sin. Now, where's that? I just quoted something. Anybody know what I just quoted? Question number 89 in the Heidelberg Catechism, which is actually based on this passage. What is the dying of the old man? Heartfelt... Sorrow for sin, causing us to hate and turn from it always more and more. Notice that. Do you hate your sin? Do you heartfelt? Does, the, does your sin hurt your heart? Do you understand how awful sin, your sin is? that you've just committed, is. As, uh, as uh, Van Til says, to help you out, Van Til says it's like going up to God the Father and slapping him in the face. What would happen if you walked up to your father and slapped him in the face? You think you'd be in big trouble? How about God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? who made everything, who holds everything together, and you slap him in the face. Is that a dangerous thing to do? Worse than an atomic bomb going off? Could be, right? It's a personal offense to a holy God. Does that break your heart? Does that affect you? God, I, I, I have offended you. I have, I have hurt you. I violated your perfect law of liberty that you've given to me to be free. I've bound myself to death. Heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing us to hate it and turn from it always more and more. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
so that you have that conviction when you see it. Well, that's not who I am. I'm not a liar. I'm a saint who's tempted to lie. No, that's not who I am. I'm in Christ. Heartfelt sorrow for sin causing us to hate and turn from it or put it off always more and more. There's that. It's the work of the Spirit of God in sanctification, making us more like Jesus. I like the way that Paul says it. He changes us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. That that change, he's making us. I don't know about you, but I can't get away with sins I used to be able to get away with 45 years ago. Okay? When I first came to Christ, I, there were things that I could do, and I didn't know that they were sin. I was ignorant. Now, even thinking about them is sin. The narrow path, it does narrow. But is God able to keep you on the path? The answer is yes. But we become more aware of our sin. These sins, heart sins, and outward expressions. We may see the outward expressions. Those are obvious. It's these that are deadly and dangerous, Jesus says. So what are we called to do? To turn or to put off that clothing. Like I said, I'm not a liar anymore. I may have been a liar in Adam, but now I'm a saint in Christ who is tempted to lie because that's a besetting sin. Okay, Do you understand the difference? I have a besetting sin, and that is worry. Or if that's a nice way of saying unbelief, not trusting God. Okay, That's a besetting sin that I've been dealing with for 45 years, and I still deal with it. I have to constantly put it off. Rest. Rest in Jesus. Trust him. You have your besetting sins. I have mine. That's one of mine. I'm not bragging. I'm actually weeping. Okay? Heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing us to hate and turn from it always more and more. Greatest hindrance is pride. I know better. How about I can do this? Can you? In yourself? No. But through God's grace. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Gain that new perspective on reality. I'm a new creature in Christ. Charles Hodge, in his commentary, said it this way. We are called to preach Christ to ourselves, to set him forth as the object of supreme love and confidence, so to learn Christ does not mean merely to learn his doctrines, but to attain the knowledge of Christ as the Son of God, God in our nature, the Holy One of God, the Savior from sin, who to know is holiness in life. Anyone who has learned Christ in this way cannot live in darkness and sin. Such knowledge is in the very nature light. Where it enters, the mind is irradiated Refined and purified. Isn't that a beautiful statement? If we truly embrace and focus on Christ, he brings light. He brings grace. He enables us to see. And he enables us to put off 
and put on. So my third point, put on the new humanity created after the likeness of God. This new reality, Christ, is now, now shines out into the world. Stop and think about Moses. What happened to Moses when he went up on the mountain and he spoke to God face to face? How was the effect on Moses? Do you remember any of the kids? What happened to Moses' face when he came down from the mountain? How bright was it? Was it such that they said that you need to put a cover over your face? Okay, The people had to ask Moses to cover your face because we can't stand looking at you. Was that Moses' glory or the glory of God reflecting off of Moses? Okay, Can that happen to you? Can people see Jesus through you? I've seen it. Have you ever met somebody and you say, I know you're a Christian. I know you're a believer. I can see Jesus in you. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Are you a Christian? Why? Because I see a difference. Isn't that what we want? Like Moses, we would love to see that they see Jesus. So what does he say? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 24. How do you do so? Number one, in verse 25, in your speech. What, are we, what he says, put away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Okay, Jesus is the truth. Does that mean we speak the truth? Even if it hurts, I'm in trouble, but I'm going to speak the truth because that's more important than the spanking I'm going to get because I did something wrong. Because I want Jesus to be seen. In your speech, Speech for edification, building up, not tearing down, he says as well. How about in your emotions and your expressions? Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What is he talking about? Self-control. Management of God's resources. Is anger a resource or is it sin? Wrong. Ang Thank you for answering. He says, be angry, but do not sin. So is it possible to be angry and not sin? Well, yes. Is God angry at our sin? Yes. Is he sin in doing so? No. When Jesus went into the temple and cleared the temple, it says, the zeal of the Lord has eaten me up. Did he sin? No. I like to think of, of anger as an energy source. I don't know about you, but I've been in, in situations where I'm totally exhausted and just can barely keep my eyes open. And then somebody does something to me, and I all of a sudden, I'm Superman. I have all this energy that I didn't have a moment earlier because I'm angry. You ever had that experience where you were just kind of catatonic or just going along? And then somebody does something or says something, and all of a sudden, oh, I've got all this energy. Have you ever been so angry that you shake? I remember one of my babies, one of my children, just, I was so angry at him because he just wouldn't go to sleep. And I'm just trying not to shake the baby, but I'm also just so angry. Have you ever, you've never parents, have you never been down that road, right? 
Be angry, but do not sin. Use that energy source in a proper way, Paul says. Don't say, well, I don't, I'm not angry. No. Okay, I have an anger here. I got energy. How can I properly put off sinful reactions using this resource? How can I put on? What's the opposite? What's the positive? How can I use this energy to pray for this person who's just cut me off and I'm wanting to give him a sign? Um, how, can I enter, how can I use this energy to edify that person? Well, I can pray from God, have mercy on his soul. If he drives that way anymore, he's going to die. Please have mercy on his soul. Have you ever done that? I have. I've also been tempted to say, Lord, get him. Yeah, let him learn his lesson so he doesn't die. Anyways, enough of that. All right, put on. There's proper use of emotions. It can be a resource. How about in your actions? Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, so that he may be able to have something to give to him who has need. Isn't that a great statement? When you steal from someone, you're taking a resource from them. So what does he say? Put off stealing and get a job. Work. And then take the resource that you gained and give it to somebody else who has need. Is that the opposite of stealing? The answer is yes. So so Paul is giving us different ways to identify and live who we are in Christ. And notice he says this statement in verse 1 of chapter 5. I don't know about you, it floors me. Therefore, be imitators of God. That is overwhelming. I don't know about you. If we truly know who God is, and he's saying, imitate God. Right? Is that humbling? Can you do it? Can you imitate God in yourself? Can he, through you, live? Yes. I need Jesus. And notice, kindness, compassionate, forgiving, loving. In other words, walk in Christ's love, who is the true new man. He's the true humanity, and we are in him. And what are we called to do? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put off the old man. Stop living for Satan. Stop living for the flesh. Stop living to impress the world. Stop living what you're not in Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you. We thank you for the work of the Spirit of God in in the life of Paul. As we see, as he says of himself, he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor of the church. And yet you, Lord Jesus, confronted him on the road, and you converted him, and you made him that new creature, and now we see him going uh, in this letter trying to build up, strengthen the church rather than destroy it. We see him putting off the old man and putting on the new. And we thank you that you are also doing that work in us as well. And so we pray that you would renew our minds, that you would grant unto us ability to see those, those sin habit patterns, these besetting sin patterns and all, to hate them and forsake them, 
and to find in you the grace and the understanding and how to properly respond uh, to things that come our way. And so we ask, O Lord, for the work of your Spirit, so that in response to your grace, we would say thank you by word and by deed. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.